Welcome to the Art Stays Here Coalition's new podcast series, Culture Crisis Conversations. In the series, we'll hear from folks affected by the ongoing arts, music, and cultural displacement that's happening across the country. These include artists, musicians, and other creatives, as well as developers, policymakers, funders, operators, arts and cultural leaders, and more. They will share their stories and their own voices to best communicate the impact that cultural displacement has had on individuals and communities and how we can choose to make it stop. Welcome to part two of episode two, where we continue learning about New Alliance, its second displacement, what it took to rebuild for a second time, how the community is still a creative collective, and how most of the gang is still together. So what were the three of you thinking collectively or separately regarding not just your music community, but specifically your business, your New Alliance audio and New You're Alliance always East. thinking about it because it never ends. Uh, you always have to have somewhere to do it. I was always looking at places even before the days were numbered, uh, only because the days are always numbered. If we don't own it, it's always going to go at some point. And uh, it went from, hey, you guys, there's a new thing over there. What's that building like? Is that owner nice? Like, who, how are they to deal with? You know, or like, wh- what's going on in this place? Oh, that's that building has bands in it over there. The rest of it looks like it's vacant. What's up with that building? You know, you're always asking around. You're always seeing what people are doing because, you know, artists are always finding weird corners to populate. What street is that that goes up towards Charlestown? Washington. Yeah. Washington Street. You're talking about towards Brick Bottom area. Joy Street. Yeah, towards Joy Street and that area. Like there was tons of weird buildings up there. Uh, So we were, you know, I'm always asking around. But then uh, once it was necessary, I mean, by the time they told us what was actually happening, there were like 30 days which is basically lighting you on fire and saying, go figure it out. So then uh, it became a constant churn of uh, calling real estate places, looking on Craigslist, looking on the commercial real estate listings, making an account with every commercial real estate company in the city. And every morning Alvin and I would go through a giant list of stuff and he'd come over and we'd have a meeting and have a coffee and talk about who are we going to go see today? Who are we going to call? We'd call places. We wound up with about five grand to move out, and we spent the entire five grand on one of those rip-off storage spaces, you know, by the time we found a place. Because the entire studio is in storage, uh, you know. And our our, uh, per-foot rent here is, it's cheaper to have a studio than to put a studio in storage by, like, double, right? Well, which is why, I don't know if you ever heard this, but regarding um, Charlestown Rehearsal Studios, they wanted to boot out the musicians so that they could have yeah. uh, personal storage. They make a lot more money. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, A, Good there's point. a lack of it. Yep. And B, you don't have to deal with humans. Yep. Unbelievable. I mean, it it's, makes sense. It's crazy. So we found out like what? So February? You put, February? You, put, you put the studio in storage from yeah. EMF? Well, yeah. yeah we, that we, studio, New Alliance proper, because it has much more infrastructure, you know, amps, guitars, drums, and all the stuff. That went into storage. Yeah, we, yep. Room about this size, you know, packed to the densely ceiling, packed every square inch. with bins that were labeled. And then uh, I basically, I was moving to my house basement, basically in Cambridge. Every every time I'd leave work, I would fill the car with bins of stuff, and it was just packed into my basement like it was the end of Indiana Jones. It's just like hallways full of bins of stuff. Good thing you had a basement. Yeah, I mean, we have. <laughs> it's not a. It's it's not a dry basement. Right, but it's not okay. the best for it this. It is what it is. Yeah. So, uh, the last day of EMF, I literally packed the computer up, which I was still using that day to finish things, to email to people or whatever. Went to my house, set it up, and I was working the next day because I have I had to do it. There's no stopping. I already had money saved to build a new place, but there was never going to be enough. And you know, got to keep working. So, I was working out of my house, which is where we would have a lot of our meetings about. Who are we going to go see? Which landlord called us back? Uh, which price per foot makes sense? That's got a crazy triple net cam thing. I don't understand what that wording is. How do we get our? How do we understand this language? I mean, we look at twelve or fifteen. I mean, easily. Yeah, 
In person, I mean. In person to actually go meet the landlord and talk to them. I did not meet one landlord that gave me a good vibe in all those buildings we saw, which were basically vacant. Were they all Somerville? Or was it Cambridge? Somerville, Charlestown, Cambridge, Alston. All over. Arlington, Waltham. We went all over the place. I mean, for like, we might have gone and seen 12, 12 to 20 in person, but there was hundreds. There's lots of buildings around. What did you learn while you shopped around? I was looking at We buildings. couldn't afford to have a studio. <laughs> uh, that the inflation ramp was already high. And yeah, um, it was never more hostile to try to do this economically than when we were being kicked out. Slightly of more hostile if we waited a year and then all the construction materials would have doubled. Yeah. You know, that, that happened just after. Right. I'm, I'm saying, yeah, you're right. But, exactly. But, but, Up until that point, it was, we were like at, it was, it was hot. It was the most we'd had seen at, at that the point. worst. Yeah. So money just doesn't seem like it means anything anymore. You know? Yeah. It's there like, was a lot of obstacles. Uh, I had saved up as much as I could to do the move and to do the thing and to be able to get a commercial lease. Because even getting a commercial lease is virtually impossible if you're a self-employed person. So, uh, you know, we met all these people that were either not willing to do a real lease or jerking you around with the language of the lease. And you got to read all the fine print because all those guys are just trying to flip their building next year for 14 times. Right. They're just worth. waiting for Google to knock. Yep. Just, that's We literally had a guy all but said that to us, essentially. We we went we looked at the space like twice we had all these ideas and everything, and it, and was that you Spice could, Street? Yeah, and yeah. you could just tell like really what he was doing was just like he just wanted to have a couple of bucks until he sold the yeah. building. You like, guys will build a swimming pool in my yard and then we'll evict you. So uh, right, you know. So uh, we were looking and looking and looking, and I was working from home trying to figure out how we make this thing happen, and. Uh, a friend of mine in this building was like probably blackout drunk. It was like four in the morning and he's like, the guys downstairs moved out. You should take their space over. So I immediately called the landlord like the next day. And within a day or two of that, Alvin and I were meeting with Raymond who owns this building. They own a bunch of buildings. It's only by a fluke. You can get anything to happen, you know, just by a fluke. Literally somebody was drunk and thought of us and, uh, So I signed a lease immediately. I mean, I had to prove to the guy that we were legit. We had full credit checks. Here's our website. This is the thing. This is what we do. Here's all the footage of us talking to the city council of Cambridge about not being in Cambridge anymore. Like we're really looking for a real place to do real work. We need, we need something. And, uh, they said yes. And we had a lease for the first time and, a billion years. I think I think we started demolition on October 31st of 2018, right? Something yeah, like the, that. Yeah, the lease was signed on the 27th. And you and I were in here with a hammer the, yeah. the next couple of days like, yeah. "What do you want to hit first? <laughs> so It was your, it was the wall outside your yeah, studio. The, the, we were like with that terrible we hit first. wall that was the curved one was the curved, the curved one, one, yeah. The yeah. one they used to say think for photography, but, yeah. it was Here's how here's why the guys move out. The place <laughs> always floods, right? It floods from two different spots. It was like 10% from one spot and 90% from this one spot. So they fixed the spot. There's a big valve in the middle of the floor. The whole city would, the whole city's water system would It was back attached up. to the, the cisterns on the street. So when the when it would rain outside, the cisterns would fill and then it would just come into here because it wasn't capped. Could put the whole place six inches deep in a, overnight, you know what I mean? <sighs> so they fixed that. So the only problem was... Around the edges, it's still, you know, just a little bit seeps through, right? It's a stone foundation. Flagstone, yeah. So they got a storm and a little seep through, and the guys were like, fuck this, I've had enough with this water coming in, I can't take it anymore. And they moved out, even though it was 90% fixed. So then yeah. Nick... All the hard stuff was, well, yeah, it was Nick still did really hard. unbelievable job sealing the thing, and you just keep sealing it over and over again, it doesn't leak at all. 99% pretty good now. We had to we had to empty a lot of garbage out of here. It was a punk rock venue for a short period of time. Yeah, it, stage the, was done. Every wall that was here was rotten with mold, and nobody had done it right. There were sprinkler heads inside of walls. I mean, it was insanely out of code. It was unsafe. It was not yeah. legit. It was literally full of trash. I forget how many dumpsters. We got like 10 and 15-yard dumpsters. Yeah. Fill it. Bring another one. Yeah. Fill it. Yeah, bring another one. And that was before we had our own materials to throw out. Yeah, 
We 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 emptied and sealed this place before we brought any framing or sheetrock down here. Um, so how many square foot is it? Can you talk about the building? Five five thousand square feet. Yeah, it's a hundred yeah. feet by fifty feet. Yeah. So this is the basement. Of- yeah, we take the whole. So this we're what we're in is one of the buildings that comprises of what used to be called the American Tube Works in Somerville, Mass. Okay. Um, basically, what would happen is this whole complex would produce copper piping and tubes. They would accept sheets of copper and then there's a kiln. They'd fire it up. That kiln, the, A piece of the, the remaining of the kiln is part of the wall that's actually in Alvin's uh, art it's space. The cement you can see artist. right here. Yeah. Um, and uh, so they would light that and then above it they would heat the thing and they'd roll the copper and then they'd ship it out. So And they would um, shoot off the side the, uh, the stubs from the ends, which is what all these holes in the floor are. Right, They're like divots from the pieces of pipe hitting the floor really hard for yep. decades. Yep. So there, are, yeah, there are a couple of buildings here that make up that. Um, so complex. we're in Union Square. We're yeah. So we're in Union Square, Somerville, and we're we're right behind Milk Row Cemetery, Somerville Ave, which used to be called Milk Row. Um, and since um, since the days of American Tube Works, the parcel has been broken up. So this building is owned by has an owner, and some of the other Tube Works facility buildings are owned by different owners um and our building is now much like many in, works was the whole block um i think it was these three buildings the one out on the on the street the one next to it and then us and i think and i and i think everything else is a new build. the one behind us was a that's a separate build i believe before it was a wine distributor i think it was part of that envelope manufacturer that mm, was there for right decades and who all is in this building and how many floors yeah so yes yeah, so like i was gonna say like in new england what happens with a lot of these buildings from the late 1800s early 1900s that are still standing is many of them mill buildings or warehouses or manufacturing facilities or whatever become places for artists musicians and this building is is one of was a great example of 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 uh, that kind of thing so there's uh three floors we've got um uh, mixed disciplines in the throughout the building our floor alone we've got um painters we've got mixed media artists we've got um digital digital and chemical photography we've got 3d printing we've got videography we've got a draftsman using the corner room uh doing a lot of drafting textile artists we have textile we have two textilists uh or actually i think textilist is not the exact word but they're, That's they're a pretty good word though it is i think but i think it means something it's like one of those words that you think means something but actually means something else anyway there's two people that specialize in textile based fine craft and and uh fashion crafts and then we've got and then the rest of the space there's three music studios of varying degrees. So there's New Alliance Audio, which is in the center of the floor, which is, you know, the big, you know, tracking mixing room, which has three ISO booths, a live room, a control room. You know, it's like that that classic beloved format for recording studio. And then we've got uh, there's a room called for Stank that's called Stank Factory Recording, which is a small digital uh, music production suite that has an isolation booth and then we've got new alliance east here which is mastering mixing and also synth synthesizer museum uh slash digital workspace yeah so that's what we're in right now i have a side room where uh jess's band the shallows practices this bliss makes art in here i have a bunch of other friends that we record in here we're podcasting in here you know to save the arts yep trying to save the arts so and you also have a new alliance gallery yep and then so in between all those workspaces which is something that goes back so before alvin um alvin's alvin was a drummer back in the day that's what he's talking about with his band starting in the starting the original location but um always also visual arts has been really important and uh so yeah, we've always had a small gallery both yeah. at emf and at 1312 and this one the boys did an incredible layout job and there's so much wall space it's incredible we have a good thousand square feet full of, gallery of and then the actual you can expand, down, expand down the hall as necessary for the thing or comp- or compress you know if you have uh, less paintings for a particular show it works out really good and uh, uh, nick uh, nick's to nick's to nick's credit recognizing alvin's uh um visual arts 
passion, wanted to make sure that we had a proper art gallery here and we managed to make it work so that the all the everything here contributes to the success of everything else here it's really special it is a true community everyone is here working you know and we have rents that we pay into the lease you know yep so we we actually managed to make the the floor affordable for everybody to have their own space to, to do their careers but also to support the gallery so that the gallery can exist and it's now now the gallery has become a place of for the community of Somerville even though even though we're not street facing even though we're not open to the public with regular hours we are open to the public very regularly we have community meetings in the in the studio live room or in the gallery when when called upon we do art openings every season where we host local and sometimes national international artists in the gallery and then uh, for those openings we showcase two performances in the live room that we you know we treat the bands to a full multi-track recording through all like the best of the best equipment that we have so they can take that multi-track and do with it whatever they want we give it to them it's a gift um and uh you know it's it's just a really special you know place for like everybody to just like kind of like this positive feedback loop of, of creative energy, you know? So go ahead. Sorry, just to back it up one second, cause you were asking Alvin about, uh, the generate, the, the shifts in the spaces over the years. And I feel like there was wall space to hang art in the first building because he just did it, you know? And then, uh, we never had a gallery space in the EMF building because it was maximized for room spaces. It was sort of like a, that's $500 trough, and that's a drum bathroom, room. And that's a, so that's like stall, the rehearsal space, the, uh, yeah. you know, it's much like a storage space. It's all maximized to have as many rentable doors as possible. So there was no space for real art. We used to hang out in the, in the halls. We would have right. art parties there with bands playing and the, and the studio itself was full of art, his art. Uh, and then, you know, the city, crack down on that because art hanging in the hallways is you know a fire hazard or whatever so there was always pushback there was never a space that was just for art you're never allowed to do that which is why when we got here i sort of insisted from the very beginning of this floor plan there was going to be shared space that people could hang out in and eat lunch and look at art because uh it's it, it's kind of nice yeah I like walking in and there's it's art. great. Like it's great. I don't walk into a weird labyrinth of beer cans and whatever. I walk into a space that's got beautiful art on the walls and toilet paper. And, the doors are open. <laughs> and people are at, you know, Enter through the gallery exit through the gift shop. That's right. <laughs> so just to answer your question fully though, cause I, I, I know like it, we're, we're, we live here. This is our home. This like, not, we don't actually live here. That's what I mean. But like, this is like, this is our creative home. Right. And so we're very proud of it. And like, but your original question was what's this building like? Right. So above us, um, on the, on the main floor, there's Cambridge hack space, which I think is hysterical because we all, they also were displaced from Cambridge. They also survived we are Cambridge. In we're in Somerville, but they're called Cambridge. Right, yes. right, right. So we, yeah, we've, we've went from, we went from Boston to Cambridge to Somerville, right? They went from Cambridge to Somerville, but they kept the name Cambridge Hackspace. So they're they're a membership organization where I think it's like you pay somewhere around seventy five dollars a month. You can go in there and use whatever they have in there for their tools. They have like soldering stations. They have table saws. They have laser cutters, laser printers. Um, you know, any any kind of like thing that you would think a makerspace should have to for for people to like you know build a robot or do some kind of three D printing product. They 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 pretty much fabrication have that mm-hmm. fabrication stuff. Yeah, and then we also have um, a guy across the hall from them who does sign making of all kinds, anywhere from like local like very like boutiquey all the way up to like. Um, Boston Bruins banners for the Stanley Cup playoffs or something like that. And then we've got um, a corner of the building that does in fact have a little bit of music rehearsal space. There's about, there's like four small rooms that has about, I want to say like eight bands in it, which is like unheard of in Somerville that there's anything that's like a music rehearsal dedicated space, but it's only, it's very small. It's only four rooms, right? It's been like that for 20 plus years yeah yeah it's it's a it's a it's a it's an anomaly in 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 the area it's very cool that it's there um and then next to that is another 
private music space. And then we have what is called Boss Organ, which is run by this guy, Tyler. And it's one of the few of its kind in the country. He specializes in maintaining, refurbishing, and repairing Hammond organs, which is a very, like, you know, in terms of, like, American music history, it's very, like, intrinsically linked to that. And, like, for that to be in this building is special, too, because there are not hardly any shops like what he does. He he true specialist. It's 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 a, it's a, it's it's really remarkable um and the quality of work is very high. Not only does he restore he not only can he restore a Hammond organ to its near original condition, but he also does modern modifications. So he'll build he'll build boxes that you can plug into that that change the sound and do things that the organs never originally could do. So he's like making he's he can make your organ like it used to be or he can say hey let's breathe some new life into it and turn it into this all this whole new sound that you didn't think was possible with this instrument before so that's incredibly special to have in the building and then uh on the floor above that we've got a, a bunch of painters sculptors um mixed media types um so visual arts studios yeah lots of visual arts studios. there is one there is one or two music spaces up there but they're not they're not like uh, fully fleshed out like recording facilities. They're just like. Would you say it's an older crowd up on the other floors? I the this is I think I would it's say the building ages. is mixed. It's yep. a very mixed age group in this building, which is very cool too. Um, there's people I love that have been that. up there for twenty years, and then there's people that just moved in. Yep. And uh, it's sort of the. I think the ongoing, uh, I don't know, fluidity of the crowd is partly because nobody knows about the space. It gets handed off to a friend, like a really old friend of ours that had a corner space up there that was a photographer, handed it off to some youngsters because he was tired of having the space. He wanted to store his stuff at home. So then there's an entire crew of youngsters up there who've never had a space before. Youngsters. You know, like 20 year olds don't like it when you call them youngsters. I guess that makes us oldsters. Vibrant youths. Uh, Yeah, I'm not not demeaning anyone. I'm just saying it's great when there's... I fully enjoy the mixture of people and that's sort of what we were trying to do with our floor as well. So you've been from Boston to Cambridge to Somerville and what have you learned? And that's a pretty open-ended question. And I guess I'm going to say a few things like, what have you learned about, um, Well, I guess answer it you, however you don't you, learn until it's too late. Right. Well, learn. You don't learn until it's too you, late. What would you tell somebody else? What would you tell your younger self? What do you wish you knew sooner? What? Well, I mean, there's stuff that we've tried to do to uh, protect ourselves better, obviously, and there's stuff that we've done to try to help the community. Specifically, uh, I can off the top of my head a couple things about this space being much different than our previous spaces is that first of all. It's not a music-only space. It's a mixed-use space. We got the lease predicated on that. We were uh, an anchor business that is music and then surrounded by a bunch of other artists that the owner actually loves it. When there's open studios, he comes down. He brings friends He down walks here, through. Yeah. He's got his family with him. He's got other friends. He's like, look at this weird space yeah. they made in the basement. He shows us off. He and, uh, you know, he's hired Duncan to do photography work. They, we don't have any bands unless there's... Uh, Supervised by a producer. Yeah, where they're under they're under control, <laughs> right? Right. right. Uh, right. Producer, mixer, chaperone. Are you, you're an audio engineer, a mic, a producer, and a chaperone. You know, so having a lease was a big change. Uh, you know, since then, because we moved in and we put un, untold dollars and man hours and love, sweat, tears into building the space out to be a real working space that we can actually show up and do work in got us to a two-year lease you know obviously we're going to try to negotiate that again in a couple months when that's up uh depending on how that conversation goes we'll have a permanent lease just kidding (laughs) but uh the one thing that everybody should know is that the the house always wins the owner is the winner so if you're not the owner your days are numbered already it doesn't matter whether you have a 20-year lease or a 100-year lease your days are numbered don't wait to organize don't wait to prepare start today you can't you have no choice it's unless you own you. so what do you mean by organizing well in this building um th- w- one of the things that actually 
made me really happy and surprised me was that there was already an effort on the top floor by some tenants to start to organize the building. And when Nick and I went to our first meeting, we were like, yep, absolutely. 100%. Don't wait. Don't wait. So, um, you know, tenants associations are incredibly important and powerful things. And, you know, a lot of people get nervous about them. They think that there's, there are these adversarial things that pits you against this and that other. It doesn't really have to be that way. Sometimes you're already adversarial, right? Landlords and tenants are adversarial positions by nature. Right. They, they can work together. I think tenants associations are misunderstood. Yeah. They are. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I think, and, and, and I think what Nick's point is, is exactly, is exactly right. You can get along personally with your landlord. You can be friends with your landlord in a lot of ways, but there's a, there's an economic reality to that relationship. Right. And, um, much like the tenant accepts that, right. A landlord would, ought to be accepting of the fact that there's a tenants association in their building and a a smart landlord would say that's a good thing because then because then at the end of the day there's no like if if there's a healthy line of communication between the landlord or the management and the the tenants association and and the communication lines are healthy and happy then there's no um there's no confusion the expectations are clear expectations are clear you're less likely to make villains out of each other you might have disagreements things might not go the way you want them to but at least it's on the table and people are being open with each other and it's more of a business relationship right 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 and and because because we because when we our relationship our relationship with the person who held the lease for the emf building and then the relationship between that person and the owner of the EMF building and then our relationship with the owner and our relationship with the person who bought the building, very all that stuff, all that stuff was very unclean in, in the sense that like it was hard to decipher what was, what was reality and what was rumor and what was really going on and what were yep. people's true intents and all that stuff. And it did not. And, and it, then the end result shows that as I much think. as people talk about that community being one thing, uh, that community was actually shattered by that experience and there's people that will never look at me like I'm a friend of theirs ever again for no reason other than I was trying to get another month you know it is what it is certain people work for the owner certain people work for the leaseholder certain people just work there right what made that when people say EMF was magic it was because the people on the ground the artists the people in the building all the time getting along doing the thing creating the community and um, a tenants association just provides protection for that because without it, then this thing, then this chaos happens at the end of these relationships. And uh, so that's what I would say to people is like, you know, protect, you know, you have a magic space like you, like the EMF building, you have a good community in your building, protect that community by organizing it so that if something does happen, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a, there's a wall that kind of helps keep that community intact even after you leave so again what do you mean by organizing what's that what do you mean by organizing like step by step it's case by case it depends on it depends on the situation and so for example like i said in this building there was already an effort on the top floor to have so you get everyone together yep get all the you knock on doors yeah, yeah knock on doors you know make a little printout saying hey uh you know coffee and cake at at my studio on this day at this time you know, you don't have to make it about anything. Just make it about meeting people and getting to know people. So you know who, who your other fellow tenants yeah. are, who first, all is here. First step is just get to know people in your building. Mm-hmm. You know, don't really have an agenda beyond being a member of your community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's every, it. Everyone's already pretty much in alignment as far as priorities. And, you know, everybody cares about the building. Everybody wants to stay here. Everybody's happy to, like, pay their rent to be here. Uh, it just gets complicated uh, if you want people to have skin in the game. Like if the if the people in the building are going to get organized and then have a lawyer that actually advises them how to do it, like getting to that level is obviously harder because people really have to buy in. There's always sort of a line. Can you get people to buy in enough so that it's an organized community without making it prohibitive? I don't, so, I don't know. Like this is mm-hmm. where you come in. This is why you're here, right? Yes. Well, we have... Um, at Humphrey Street Studios in Dorchester, um, which was the first project that we worked with Art Stays here, um, we had a consultant. His name is Harry Smith, and he works uh, mostly in affordable housing. 
uh, and working with residential tenants associations. Um, a lot more protections, at least in Massachusetts, for residential tenants than for commercial tenants, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but one of the things that he told us was, you know, A, you have to organize. B, you have to be in one united voice. Sometimes there are factions, even within the tenants association, and that will do nothing but cause harm to wherever you're trying to go. So even if there are factions, you have to kind of um, bring those to the table and try to work them out. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, going back to what you were saying about either owners or developers trying to like uh, con- divide and conquer or pick people off. There's nothing that will uh, ruin a tenants association like two different ideas and two different factions and two different voices or even three from that point. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. I would say it's like not necessarily in our natures to organize. Um, and, you know, you, doing group work is really, really hard. Like you think it's not, but it is. Um, even just trying to get people in one room, uh, people have different life experiences, different skill sets, people communicate differently. People, it is really, really, really hard. I'd also add to that, to the people, to the people out there who decide to do the organizing work and don't get everybody on board and find that you're doing a lot of work that somebody else in your building is going to benefit from, even though they're not doing any work or not, or not helping you. And even maybe working against just got to water off a duck's back, that stuff, you know, and just, you just got to keep going and, you know, realize that it's not, it's not for everybody. The work is not for everybody. Um, not everybody's, good at it you don't necessarily want everybody because of that reason you know so what you basically want is a group of people from the overall tenants association we sometimes call it a steering committee it could be a working group it could be i don't know a board or something else and that group of people is given permission the small group is given permission by the larger group to do work on their behalf and you know, you communicate with the bigger group as you go. You you know, when there are big decisions to make, they go back to the bigger group. But that there is a trust uh, given to the smaller group to whether it's go meet with the city, meet with elected officials, talk to the media, talk to other tenants, talk to other neighbors. Um, whatever that work is, that the small group has permission uh, and license to go do that advocacy on behalf of the bigger group. And one thing that we've found at the Art Stays Here Coalition with all of the groups that we work with, and now there are many, is that it only takes a small group to do the work. I mean, it's a lot of work and it's hard work, but you don't need everybody. You basically need to just make sure that there aren't factions working against you. So um, uh, what have you learned about organizing groups in this building or otherwise? And what do you think about artists and musicians organizing and the like kind of unlikeliness of it? Or or is it punk to organize? Or uh, a, for, Well, that's the easiest question to answer. It's absolutely punk to organize. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, I'd say I'd say like be a good listener. That's part of dealing with the fact that some people are going to have a very different idea about the direction of something, you know, I've, I've brought up ideas to people in this building and they've immediately met me with an opposing viewpoint. And sometimes I agree with them at the end of the day and sometimes I don't, but the fact of the matter is, is that the strength of the community is going to be largely built on the quality of listening skills that people have. Can you listen to the other people and can with, without, without, um, having, you know, an over-the-top negative reaction. I know a lot of people, they hear something they don't like and their and their gut is saying, "Time to I got to lash out against that idea that I don't like." It's like that's not good listening. That's not that's not trying to be in in the community with others. That's you know. And and we're not in a we're not in a monoculture. You know, like if like when you were talking about community organizing and how decisions get made and having a hierarchy, we're not like a native American camp that's going to move seasonally. And everybody already knows that for hundreds of years or thousands of years, everybody already knows that's built in. You might have conflict with people about who's going to pack this or that, but it's getting packed Mm -hmm. and everyone's going like, I think, uh, modern life is much more, 
obfuscated and confused in that way. There is no monoculture to people uh, to see what the path forward is. So oftentimes people are making their own paths. That's where I feel like we meet a lot of resistance with people who've been in this building for 20 years. Mm-hmm. They're just like, if I just keep doing my thing with my head down, I'll be fine. Yeah, And become, it'll be here forever and I'll yeah. be fine. But that's... You know, that's not how it works. You become a victim. You, you do that. You you become a victim of your own adherence to rugged individualism. <laughs> you know, you can't or be apathy. a libertarian. There are no libertarians in society. This is the fallacy of politics, right? right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, there are no libertarians. I mean, in society. As simple as you can put it. Right. So all of the, so this space now, as we sit here today in Union Square, Somerville, uh, you house. New Alliance Audio, you have New Alliance East, um, you have New Alliance Gallery, and a whole bunch of creative tenants, small businesses, all different kinds of things. It is a community. Um, It's the entire floor of this one property, and it's amazing. It's amazing that you've rebuilt it twice. That is so sad that you have had to I mean just the labor alone never mind um, I can't even I've lost a space before two gallery spaces and I don't think I'm healed yet like it's we were having this conversation the other day um, I how mean you, life goes on yeah. and you grow how do you, how and do you, you grieve that stuff and move on yeah I mean the grief I mean I feel grief talking about the Fenway like we were at the beginning of this conversation and it wasn't even, I didn't even have a space at 1312 or anything. Um, I can even just grieve FNX and BCN. Like it's, um, never mind the humans, everything that you guys built, your labor, your learning, the records that were made. We haven't even talked about any of that. Um, I think what we want people to understand is what we're asking for is protection of space, cultural space, but it's really protection of creating. You know, you can't do it without a space. I mean, we think about, you know, there's all these theaters in Boston and like professional theater and, you know, music venues and galleries and museums and all these institutions. They need everything that gets uh, put forth, produced, or exhibited for human consumption has to get created somewhere. And whether that's in this building or the EMF building or 1312 or the Sound Museum or CRS or any of, you know, in SOA or any of the artist studios, 119 Braintree Street, a lot of times patrons and the public don't understand. And, you know, you don't need to, but there are. <laughs> People need like what you might end up seeing on a museum wall or a gallery wall may have been uh, 15 or 50 different versions of a painting that someone went through. Yes. You have to do your 10,000 hours somewhere. Um, And you need gear, you know, like most musicians, you know, if you're a practicing musician and not even in the rock genre, but really in any genre and given, you know, apartments and houses and stuff in the Boston area aren't like generally huge, you need a separate space to put your gear and to do your work and for it to be soundproofed and et cetera. People in the suburbs have a, have a basement or a garage for that or a shed for that. Yeah. When you live in the city in an apartment, where's that space? Mm-hmm. That's what these rehearsal buildings are. Well, and, and we could even say, even though there's, um, you know, uh, uh, scarcity for visual artist studios and for music rehearsal studios on the music side, we also have to consider sound. And like if you're in a residential neighborhood or any of these other kinds of things that like um, there are some music rehearsals that they don't allow uh, loud music until 7 p.m. Not in my backyard. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, we're also once I think that we keep keep doing this work and we can preserve some and build some, you know, then we want to also make sure that there's as much access, that it's affordable. I mean, we haven't even touched on that at all because um, it's not affordable. And, you know, I think we have to really ask citizens, what kind of city or town or neighborhood or community do you want to live in? And do you want to support the arts or not? And I think, you know, one of the things that we're coming across doing this work is... Oftentimes, 
regular folk think that how you are a patron to the arts is by buying a ticket to a movie or to a show or, you know, buying a band's t-shirt and all that is super true. But we're also saying here, we need to use our voices. We need supporters to support your musician friends, your artist friends, your family, etc. And at different points, we'll be at the ballot box. We'll ask people to sign petitions. We'll ask people to write letters that we need to speak up to protect and preserve cultural space or else it will go away. We have enough evidence that it goes away. We have decades and decades, not just here talking about, you know, the history and the trajectory of New Alliance specifically. We have the entire Fort Point channel, um, arts, well, mostly, mostly arts, I was going to say, and music community development. There is a thing called development without displacement, but it takes a lot more work, a lot more effort, and you probably don't make as much money, but that exists. Um, we have met art and music friendly developers and, you know, there are friends to the work that we're trying to do, but we need more. We need more people to take notice. We need more people to learn. We need more people to get active and spread the word and be like a 1970s Breck shampoo commercial and tell two friends and so on and so on. It sounds hokey, but it's 100% true. I have a thought. I have two thoughts. Um, well, talking about the grief, I, to this day, still have vivid dreams where I walk into the Fenway, I unlock the door, I go in there, and the walls are all still there. All the all the, the green and the red paint, that I could see the exact color that the, those walls were painted. Even the one, the walls that have like the silver blue um, blended paint job on the pillars and stuff. And then, uh, but there's no gear in there, you know? The building exists, the space is still there, but it's empty. So I can go in, but I can't actually do any of the recording. I can't do well, any of the it things. was your formative years. I still, I still have dreams to this day, 20 years later. My funny daydreams about the EMF building are before we rebuilt it, which is fascinating to me because when we got there, it was basically an entire electrical supply warehouse that was still there. You know, the guy that was in the family that ran it until it was basically out of business was still there trying to figure out how do I pack up a hundred oh, yeah. years of my family's stuff that's in this building. That's you a know? good story. Yep. Yeah. Cause yep. like the entire top floor was full of family heirlooms and like a motorcycle and oh grandma's God, dresses and trunks full of like cameras that the original father collected cause he was into photography. The original business was not only an electrical supply warehouse, but a photography sales point for cameras and film uh, it was an amazing infrastructure that had already been there that was built by that family. And it's uh, my dreams are all of that stuff. Like I have little knickknacks or like little camera cases that I save just because of that, those feelings that it triggers. I don't know. It was beautiful. They had a, thri they had a thriving business for 40 years and they let, they didn't stay with the times and it ran into the ground. They just aged out. It wound up with a, a guy in a room about half this size with catalogs stacked to the ceiling. <laughs> and, uh, if you went in there to buy to buy something, he'd find the part. He'd order it for you, right? But the, he couldn't get the part delivered until he had like a $100 minimum. So he, <laughs> seven days later, a guy comes in and needs $39 worth of stuff. Now he's up to 98 you know? It's incredible. He couldn't mail your, he couldn't mail his credit. He lost his credit at the, at the warehouse. Couldn't get stuff. Well, that's sad too. I mean, even when um, at 55 Morrissey, where we have um, interim music rehearsal, that used to be um, a handful of professional radio stations. And um, I remember oh, when, when that's we... That's why I recognize that address. Oh, yeah. Professional what? Uh, radio stations. So yeah. it's it was the Beasley building. So uh, 98.5. Um, EDI, right? Yep. Yeah, uh, 102.5. Uh, it used to be mixed 98, you know, a whole bunch of commercial radio stations so i mean even though we were so grateful that it was empty and we could put interim music rehearsal there there's still a huge loss that there's these radio stations and i mean you know what it takes to build state-of-the-art radio stations um and it's i mean i guess we are human and we're sentimental people but there's been so much loss and yet 
there's still creativity and you know you're making records every day and you're mixing and mastering every single day and you're creating art every single day and um so we just need to make sure that we have hope and that we continue to support those who are creating yeah into the into the you know things change i'm not a i'm not a you know, I wasn't born yesterday. I realized things don't always stay the same. We don't, we don't have the horse and buggy anymore. We're not using whale oil to, you know, light and heat or all that stuff, you know, things change, but, but you know, what we're seeing with the arts is different than that. It's not just, okay. Radio is transforming into, um, internet and satellite. It's not, it's not, that's not what's happening here. Yeah. That's not what's happening. What's happening here is we have an incredibly high demand for rehearsal space, we, I, my studio is book solid. I have my full, my calendar is full. We have a demand for recording space. We have people who are constantly learning new instruments, younger generations. They like music. They like playing music. They like playing music loud. They like playing music with other people and for other people. Why? Because this is something that's been a part of us since the dawn of time. Arts and music has always been with us and will continue to be with us, even if the AI you know, overlords, you know, you know, start creating a lot of mainstream content. People are still going to want to play their strats and bang their Simmons pads and their drum kits, you know, and, you know, twist knobs on their synthesizers and turn the volume up in a room with other people bouncing ideas off each other. It's not going away. There's a demand for it. The cities are getting more densely populated. We shouldn't have less of these spaces. We should have more of them. And it's, it's time for the government to acknowledge that economically it's in everyone's best interest to do this. Well, because, not just economically, but for the well-being and rich lives I, that and we I have, want to I have two notes about the econ- economy part of this, right? On the one hand, what they need to realize that like it's good, it's good business. But on the other hand, we also need to drive home the point that a lot of these rooms are places where people fail. And it's okay that they fail. It's okay that they never make their record the way they always dreamed they made it. It's okay that they don't, you know, end up opening for Taylor Swift. It's okay that they're not selling platinum records. Because at some point, you do it because you're a creator. You're an artist. Well, 99% of people aren't selling Taylor Swift records. Right. Ninety nine point nine 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 nine. I have no delusions at the age of forty three, having started this as a teenager. You know what the rest of my life is potentially going to look like in music. But you know what? I know what the I know the impact that music has on the people who make it, who play it, who share it, who listen to it. Whether that whether that music is a local band that only 20 people are listening to or a huge band that millions of people are listening to, it's all valuable regardless of the dollar amount attached to it. So there's two value sets here that are relevant, not just one or the other, but both. And both of them equally need to be recognized by the state and the local governments and the federal government because they have they're the ones that are in control of the rules that currently allow developers to do what they're doing and as far as i remember we're them and they're us right the government's supposed to be by and for the people well you're leaving you're leaving a huge part of what makes people people out of the equation right now that needs to change people need to go be able to they need to go into a practice space and either make a record that 20 people are going to hear make a record that thousands of people are going to hear may no make no record at all <laughs> all of these things are valid all of these things deserve space break up in the studio <laughs> yeah your band wants to break I've, up in the know, middle of a I've session i've recorded that band before you have a right to do, you have a right to that experience in life you want to never you want to be in a band for 30 years and never have broken up you deserve to have that experience in life too you know it's like well uh, agreed all around in that there's different kinds of well-being in terms of like financial versus, you know, mental or human, etc. And um, the theme that, you know, we've seen for decades, even before any of us, is artists go into a downtrodden neighborhood, yeah, uh, build it up, give it personality and culture, throw a coat of paint on it, throw up some flower window boxes, and then no. it becomes a destination. And then, you know, our creative communities 
do the blood, the sweat, like you're saying. And then after everyone loves it, the creatives get knocked out. And, you know, that's gentrification. That's a whole bunch of other things. But the thing, and it is sad and it is awful and it is definite, meaning if you don't intervene, it keeps happening. And we have decades of that proof. We need to get involved. We need to stand up. We, you need to, you know, vote. You need to take part. You need to be part of conversations and community conversations and, you know, learn about development in your neighborhood and ask, how can I help? I met someone the other day um, after one of these interviews and she said to me, how can I help? And I thought, that's the first time someone has said to us, how can I help? And like, there are so many ways. That's not, that's not the first time, but. Well, it was, it was, it, it felt. It's few and far between. I don't know. It felt um, formative. Um, and there's lots of ways to help. So um, I want to thank um, Alvin Long, Nick Zampiello, and Ethan Duso for this amazing podcast. Um, you can also go to www.artstayshere.org and learn about our work and get involved. Um, any last words any of you want to sign off with? Art stays here. <laughs> art stays here. Art stays art. here. Art stays here. And when we say art, we mean music too. Wait, that's the intro to the show. <laughs> art stays here. <laughs> Where is here? Art. Thanks for listening to the Art Stays Here podcast series, Culture Crisis Conversations. You can listen to all of the episodes from our website, artstayshere.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to our partners, New Alliance Audio, New Alliance East, and The Record Co. And thank you for the funding from Boston's Mayor's Office of Arts and Culture. Join the movement at artstayshere.org.